This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I wanted to read a couple of um, passages this morning just to get things going um, and then go in and explore them in a little bit of detail. And so I wanted to start off at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to read it out of the Passion Version. So if you don't have the Passion, just listen to it and you can take a note of it. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ... Is anyone enfolded into Christ? Okay, he's talking to you here, okay? He's become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new, and God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. Say, I have a ministry of reconciling Others to God. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of a reconciliation to God. I'm responsible for opening the door. No, that was for you to say. <laughs> I, and I have to be clear. Say, I'm responsible for opening the door of reconciliation to God. To God. We are ambassadors of the anointed one. I'm an ambassador. Who carry the message of Christ to the world. Okay, and then the rest, it's, it's fine. You can get to that. Okay, then I want to marry that to um, another passage as well. Genesis chapter 37, verses 5 and 10. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. If, they says it, if it says they hated him even more, it means that they already hated him. But like this was the cherry on the top. So he said to them, please hear this dream, which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf rose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. This is really designed to make them so happy. And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brother, brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bound down to me. And he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to the earth before you? So I'm going to start off in one and I'm going to link it to the others because there's a relationship between the two. What's important about the first passage is this. You have a ministry of reconciliation. You have a ministry of reconciliation. What God is saying is I've done something in your life that is so monumental and so consequential that I'm calling you to take that and to have influence in the lives of other people. What he's doing is he's setting the foundation and he's setting the framework for your purpose. Your purpose is going to be born out of this. So he needs for us to understand that at the very foundation of everything, we have a ministry of reconciliation. We have a ministry of taking to people the good news of the gospel, telling them that, you know what, there are opportunities and there is potential available in your life as a result of your relationship with God. It's supposed to do something in your life and change you. What is so rewarding about this is that we're introduced to the reality that there is a purpose to our life that is bigger than we are. Most of our life until we meet Christ is very much absorbed with me and who I am. It's all about me and my happiness and my fulfillment and me doing what I want to do for me. But self-gratification doesn't lead us into purpose. It leads us into indulgence. What God is sitting saying is, I've got a purpose for you which transcends you. It's something much bigger. It has to do with the divine plan of influence. And you have a place in that plan. The challenge with it is this. God wants to do something in life to elevate who we are, to get us to the place where we can live beyond ourselves. Because unless we're able to live beyond ourselves, what ends up happening is we compromise our ability to walk into our purpose. I know that sounds, what I mean by that is this. We're so absorbed with trying to fix who I am and feel good and feel right and feel fulfilled. The problem with it is I don't recognize purpose. 
And what ends up happening is I compromise my purpose because I don't have the capacity in that space to be able to live it out. Purpose is going to demand something of you. It's going to demand an investment from you to be able to invest in people, to be be able to invest into environments. So I've got to have something to be able to take of who I am and put into that space to bring about change and transformation. If I'm not whole and complete, the problem with it is I begin to cannibalize my environment. I cannibalize the people in my environment because what I'm saying is I need to feel whole and complete. I'm not in that space right now, so I'm not looking to inject anything into my world. I'm looking for my world to make me feel whole and good. So I live in a different disposition. So what he's saying to us is he's saying until we come to a place where we can live beyond ourselves, it's difficult for us to walk into our purpose. The wonderful thing about God is he says, I never leave you nor forsake you. So what he's really doing is he's sitting saying, I'm just inviting you into an understanding so that you can partner with me so that I can take you some places and I can spit you out at the end of it so that you can realize a purpose that you weren't able to do outside of me. It's always an invitation. God's always inviting us into stuff. So in case we get a little bit confused about things, what he does is he tries to add clarity to the equation. And what he says is, understand this. Because you've become a new creation in Christ, You don't have to live by the old man. What he's saying is everything that I'm inviting you into, the purpose that I've designed for you is going to be discovered as you begin to move into an appreciation and understanding and a redefinition of who I've called you to be. All things have passed away and all things have become brand new. All things becoming brand new starts off with me. All things beginning, it starts with me. The life of God comes and moves on the inside of me and begins to bring about change and brings, begins to bring about transformation. It does some things on the inside of me. He's introducing me to the fullness of who I am. He's doing some things on the inside of me. What he says is, I need for you to understand that there is a shift that needs to take place in your life. There needs to become an awareness of the fact that you're not just a being that's out there that gets to define themselves the way that they used to. Before I moved into relationship with God, I was very aware of myself as an individual in relationship to my environment and my world. And that's the way things used to be. And there was an interaction between the two and a definition that lived between the two. But the problem with it is, is that it didn't introduce me to what God's plans and purposes were for my life. So what he's saying is, understand this, old things have passed away. All things have become brand new. He's introducing us to a new mode of living. You have the capacity and the ability to decide where you want to live, what you want to live from, what becomes the source of your life. We used to be people who used to live from our environment and our world and our interpretation of everything happening around about us, and it gave definition to who we were. But old things have passed away, so what's become brand new? Now all of a sudden I live in relationship with God. And so the source of my life is to shift from external to internal. I live from relationship. I begin to move into that space where I'm able to relate and connect with the greater one, with the God of possibilities, with the God who's taking me to a place where he's saying, I'm going to do some introducing into your life to change you. I'm going to show you some things that might surprise you. That's the intention for God. What he wants to do is take us to a place where what he offers us is potential and opportunity that doesn't exist outside of him. So discovering who we are in that context becomes really important. And then he goes on from there and he says something quite interesting. And he says, because you were designed to be an ambassador. He's trying to give us a description of the way that he sees us operating. An ambassador is somebody who represents something greater than who they are in an environment that is foreign. We represent something who is greater than what we are in an environment that is foreign. What's interesting about it is this, is that anytime you move into a new job, the first thing they give you is a job description. A job description says, fine, these are the expectations, these are the duties, these are the responsibilities, these are the functions that go with the position. And so it's helpful for us because what we do is when we understand what the job description is, we understand what is required of us in order to fulfill that. We can always go back to the job description and if there's a disparity between the two, we recognize the fact that, okay, I need to work a little hard in these areas. I'm not delivering in this. So it gives us definition. 
The thing about God is, God doesn't work the way that other people work. God, because of the way that he is and who he is, one of his characteristics is life. Excuse me. So the thing about it is, everything that God does, he's always got the characteristic of life to us. He doesn't give us a set of rules to follow. What he says is, I'm going to invest on the inside of you, your job description. It becomes your identity. I'm not asking you to live by a set of rules. I'm asking you to be conformed to the image of Christ because when you become who he is, what ends up happening is my description is not something that I follow. It's not a list of rules and regulations. All of a sudden, my job description becomes an essential part of who I am. It's a living job description. It's who I am. What ends up happening is I walk into situations and I'm not trying to follow the four, three points in a poem to know what I should be doing in there. I recognize it because I'm defined that way. My vision and my interpretation of what's happening is as a result of the job description that's alive on the inside of me. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 um, says, have the mind of Christ. Let the same mind dwell in you that is in the mind of Christ. What's important about that is this a couple of things. Remember when he talks about the mind, he's talking about a spiritual entity. He's not talking about a physical entity. When he talks about have the mind of Christ, he's not saying have the brain of Christ. He doesn't want you to take the things of God and try and interpret them from your understanding. When he talks about the mind of Christ, what he's talking about is the very central part of who you are, the essence of your spiritual being, that part that gets to make decisions about who you are, the defining body that gives self-concept to who you are. What he's saying is who you are, your identity should be conformed to the image of Christ. When he says have the mind of Christ, basically it's a synonym for saying be conformed to the image of Christ. He's interested in your identity. He's not interested in your thinking. Your thinking is a product of what your identity is. When your identity changes, your thinking changes. When your identity changes, your feelings change. When your identity changes, your choices change. Everything hinges on your identity. He's, God is totally preoccupied with what you believe because it's the DNA of your being. That's what makes who you are. So God's interested in your mind. Now, it, it's, what's important about that is this. Sometimes the, the, we, we don't always recognize the significance of some things. Image is a big issue to God. Actually, image should be a really good, a big issue to us. Blah, 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 blah. Image should really be a big issue to us because it's the blueprint of who you are. Before God ever started creating man, before, before the, the blueprints were put in place, he said, let us make man in our image. Right there is the blueprint for your design. He hadn't created anything yet. Image was really important to God because you were built around the, the capacity and the ability to be defined by his image so that you could live in his likeness. Yeah. That was the blueprint to God. It was so profitable and so worthwhile to Adam as long as he lived in it. But something happened. And the something that happened was this. Adam moved to a place through a whole series of circumstances and situations where he was no longer allowing his image to be defined by God and his relationship with God, but he moved to a place where he said, I will take responsibility for defining who I am because I want to be like God. So he stepped out of that paradigm and he said, let me define myself. Yeah. And when he moved to that place, all of a sudden there was separation between God and man. Something moved into that space and gave a redefinition to who it was. And God said, that's not of me. Something's been born in you that's not of my nature. Yeah. What have you done? Yeah. Because it was born of a nature separate to God, what had ended up happening was it separated us from God because it was of a different nature. The part of the reason and a big part of the reason that Jesus come back, came back was an image reason, not only to introduce us to relationship with God, was, but because he was sitting saying, I want to take you back to your original blueprint. Yeah. 
I want you to go back to your original design. That's why I bring with me the capacity and the capability to reintroduce you to the image of Christ. What is he doing? He's saying image is important. I'm going back to the blueprint. The problem is outside of the blueprint, you will never be fulfilled. You will never be happy. You will never be content and you'll never be a person of purpose. So he's taking us back to his original design. So Joseph is living kind of towards the, almost at the bottom of the, the totem pole in the pecking order with all of his older brothers who really don't like him and they're half-brothers. And he feels, obviously to some degree, we can speculate, but some degree of, of inadequacy compared to them. He doesn't feel quite the same as who they are. And so he's looking for opportunities and ways to be able to affirm who he is in the context of a family environment. All of us have a history and a story of inadequacy and lack. It has nothing to do with God. Actually, it has to do with the absence of God. The challenge with it is all of us have been born into a world where we never had relationship with God. And so in that space, what ends up happening is I begin to grow and I begin to develop and I begin to recognize the need to give some sense of definition to who I am. What am I all about? How do I understand myself in the context of everybody else and the world in which I find myself and the family in which I'm growing up in? And I start to look at those things and I recognize the need for definition. The challenge with it is when I don't have relationship with God, I don't have access to the original blueprint. I don't have access to that source. So the only thing that I can do is I can begin to define myself. The very thing that separated us from God. And I live from a place of, of defining who I am. I define who I am. But the problem with it is I can't connect with God, so I can't do anything internally. I don't have access to the source of life. I don't have access to the blueprint. The only place that I can go and find substance that gives definition to who I am is to go out into my world. So what do my brothers say about me? And what do my brothers think about me? And where am I in the pecking order? And how do I interpret all of that? And what is my perspective on all of these things? And all of that stuff is flooding my world and flooding my life. And it's giving me a sense of definition. And it's forming my identity. And ultimately what I end up with is an image that is very distorted and very different to what God has designed for us. And so we find ourselves in an interesting place because the challenge with it is this. From God's economy, there is value in terms of who you are being built on truth. The invitation that he extends to us is build your life on the rock. Yeah. What he's saying is this. Build your life on truth and expressions of love. That's what is the invitation is. The challenge with it is there's only one source of truth, which is Christ. And the problem with it is I didn't have access to him. So the challenge is I've gone to redefining myself. Or I've gone to defining myself outside of truth and outside of love. And I've gone into my world to try and find who I am and what I'm all about. And in that space, I've, I've grabbed hold of and I've embraced a whole bunch of lies that deceive me. And give me a false sense of who I am. And as I begin to live from a false sense of who I am, I start to form something called my normal. You see, in my normal, I begin to recognize the fact that, you know what? I'm not as secure as I used to be. And when I put myself in the context of other people, I feel my insecurities. I feel my limitations. And so what I begin to do is I start to develop behaviors that are designed to both protect me and to prop up what becomes a wobbly foundation. If you don't build your house on the rock and you build it on the sand, the challenge with it is, as long as it's a lovely blue sunny day, things are going to be good. Oh, yeah. 
As long as your environment is rosy and people are celebrating you and everything's just hunky-dory, your life is going to be good. But the challenge is going to come. And when the challenges come, what ends up happening is they come in different forms. And they come in voices and they come in experiences. And when those things begin to come in, all of a sudden the rain begins to fall. And the floods begin to arrive. And the wind starts to blow. And all of a sudden I begin to wobble all over the place. And I recognize it's because I've developed in the foundation that's based on lies and deception and it can't sustain what's happening on the environment in the, in the environment in which I find myself and I find myself being tossed all over the place and I'm moving here and there and so I begin to do some things to protect who I am I begin to recognize the fact that I'm vulnerable in certain areas so I adopt some behaviors that I can do some things that are designed to elicit responses from people. Give me your affirmation. Give me your validation. Make me feel important. I do behaviors that enforce that. And then I do behaviors that not only prop it up, but behaviors that protect it. I can't take it when people say things about me that I don't like. Why? Because it begins to erode parts of me that I don't really like. And before I know it, I find myself at a place where I've developed and put myself into a prison of normalcy. It's my normal. I know how to handle it. I know how to manage it. It's not always secure. It's not always stable. It's quite wobbly in different areas, but at least it's what I know. The challenge with it is, what happens in my prison of normal is, although I'm comfortable in that space, as insecure as it may be, nothing new happens. Nothing new happens. In that prison, I start to form understandings of who I believe God is. I form concepts and build relationships with a concept of who I believe God is. But because I'm not whole and complete, what shocks us is when we come face to face with the reality that my concept of God is completely different to God himself. God loves us too much to leave us in prison. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that he wants to take us outside of our sense of normalcy, outside of the place we feel comfortable, outside of the prison cells that we've established, outside of our paradigms of God. And he wants to introduce himself to ways that are designed to amaze us. They amaze you because it's so different to what you had expected. I didn't think he was like that. And so we find ourselves in interesting places. So Joseph is there. And he doesn't have one, but he has two dreams. Two words from God. Two affirmations from God. And you know what he begins to do? He begins to celebrate the reality. Do you know what God's going to do in my life? He's going to elevate me. He's going to make me important. He's going to give me stature. He's going to put me in places and where I can mix shoulders and rub shoulders with people that I've never mixed with before. And you know what? Let me go and tell all of my brothers about the fact that when you come and meet me, you are going to bow down and you're going to worship me. I'm going to be so important. Just you wait and see. He's celebrating God's promises to him. God makes promises to all of us because the word of God is full of the promises of God. The challenge is, is this. The challenge is this. The promise is not your savior. The promise is not your savior. The promise is not your savior. You see, when we interpret God's promise from our need, what ends up happening is we misinterpret what he's saying. And it leads us down the wrong path. 
He was so excited because out of his need for recognition, for validation, for who he was, he looked at it and he accepted it. God was going to do something to make me important. It was all about fixing his need. And God sitting saying, the problem with it is, I got to do some stuff in your life. Because you see, until I fix who you are and bring you to a place of wholeness and completion, you'll always take what I offer you and cannibalize it. You think it's for your benefit, but I've called you to be an ambassador. An ambassador takes the things of the kingdom and introduces it into the world that they're in. You're not living like an ambassador. You're living like a cannibal. I want to take the things of God and I want to explore them and I want to enjoy them because it's all about the affirming of who I am. And the thing about it is because it's in a spiritual context, I don't even recognize it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Why do we get excited about it? Because... Very many people do this. I love the idea of seeking first the kingdom of God and the fact that he's going to provide for me because you know what ends up happening. It's going to put me a place where he's going to give me stuff. And stuff is going to make me better than other people. Stuff is going to give me a really nice car. Stuff is going to give me a really nice house. Stuff is going to position me in a place that's fantastic. And everybody's going to look around and have a look at my stuff and say, gee, well, look at you. It's all about cannibalizing the promise. When I cannibalize the promise, I think it's all about me. But when I move to a place of wholeness, when I move to a place where I allow him to introduce me to completion in who he is, suddenly I recognize purpose. And now all of a sudden, seeking first the kingdom is not about what it can do for me. It's about establishing my life in a lifestyle where all of my provision comes from kingdom so that I can have influence in that space. It's all about what can I do for kingdom. I've just stepped into what it is to be an ambassador. I can't step into what it is to be an ambassador as long as I'm consuming the promise. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Oh, that's so good. I can't wait. He's going to put me in such special places. People are going to look at me and they're going to be like, check him. Seriously, he's like, he's presidential material that. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about validation. It's all about put me in a place where people recognize me. Put me in a place where people affirm me. Put me in a place where people esteem me. It's all about me. And he says, I didn't call you to be about you. I've called you to be an ambassador. An ambassador is someone who lives from wholeness and completion and has a look at that and says, Father, you know what? Everything that I have comes from you. And I want to thank you that as you take me and put me in places of influence, wow, it positions me in places where I can have more of an impact for the kingdom. It's a different perspective. Given it will be given unto you. Good measure, shaken down, running over will people give unto you. I love it. Why? Because I'm going to get stuff from God. I'm going to get money from God. I'm going to get position from God. I look at all of these things. But if I view it from my need as opposed to a place of wholeness and completion, I cannibalize the promise instead of walking into my role as an ambassador. I don't steward the things of God effectively because I need them to fix me. Your promise is not your savior. The dream is not your savior. Christ is your savior. We see the dream as a destination, but God sees the dream as an invitation to a journey. He likes to take us down the road less traveled, the scenic route, the scenic route. You know why he takes you down the scenic route? Because when you go down the scenic route, you're going to discover some stuff you didn't see before. When you go down the scenic route, you're going to come face to face with some stuff and be like, where did that come from? I didn't see that before. I didn't recognize it before. It's all about discovery. The scenic route is about discovery. You're going to find out some stuff when he invites you into promise because you're going to go the scenic route. It's not bad. 
It's wonderful because it introduces us to a concept called holiness. Oh, Lord, don't speak about There's some things you never speak about from the pulpit. Sin is one, holiness is another. Because we've got a, such a misconception of what holiness is. We have this idea that holiness is supposed to put such parameters and restrictions on our life. So it prevents me and curbs me from enjoying life. And really what God is saying is holiness is actually my vehicle, my ability to break you free from jail. Holiness is what's going to come in and fix some of those spaces and heal some of those spaces so that you can walk out of jail free and be like, I'm whole and I'm complete and I live differently and I don't live from need. I live as an ambassador. Holiness is designed to do some stuff in your life that is positive. It's God making an impartation and a deposit into you that's supposed to change you or actually that will change you. He's going to put some substance on the inside of you that's going to fill some of those holes and those potholes and those things there. And so it's going to be a nice, clean, easy drive. It's about discovery. It's about discovery. But when you've been through discovery, it's also going to be about illumination. You're going to begin to see things clearly. You can't see things clearly when you're wobbly. You can't see things clearly when you're doing this all over the place. You begin to see things clearly when you get established on the rock. You begin to see things clearly when you're established in who he is and who he's called you to be. And suddenly you recognize stuff from a different perspective. All of a sudden I move to a place where it's not about me anymore. I can breathe. I'm above water. I'm having a look at this place and it's like I see some opportunity here. I can do some stuff in this place. Wow. The scenic route is the most wonderful way to go. We struggle with the things of God because the first thing we want to do when God introduces us to a dream and a promise is we want to make a plan. We want to make a plan. I thank you for the dream, Lord. I'm going to make it happen. And I head out with intention. And God's like, where are you? What are you doing? Take your hands off the things of God. You see, what happens is, well, we're busy making our plans. Well, we're looking at our brothers and being like, just you wait. Give me a few minutes. You're all going to be jealous. Well, I'm making my plans of where I'm going to be and how I'm going to be elevated and where I'm going to end up. Well, I'm sorting all of these things out. The next thing I know, I do a good deed by taking lunch to my brothers. And what happens? They want to kill me. And then they throw me a pit. And then they sell me into slavery. And all of a sudden, the wheels become, it begin to come off. All of a sudden, my plan is thrown into chaos. Everything that I had organized, everything that I knew how it was going to work, everything that I had designed is thrown into disarray. And I end up in a space of confusion. I don't, I don't know what, to, what, how could this happen? I'm supposed to be the person who's elevated here and I've just been sold into slavery. I've just in a moment gone from the top to the bottom. How could this be? The thing about God is, your insecurity doesn't make him insecure. You wobbling all over the place. I'm a bit of a nervous wreck because things aren't working out. And in that space, I begin to wobble. In the meanwhile, God's perfectly fine. You just didn't recognize it as the scenic route. He's okay. Because he's taking you somewhere. He's taking you on a journey. It's not that he's trying to be harsh to you, but he's trying to bring you face to face with some stuff that you're not aware of. And when you recognize it, the opportunity exists for him to sit and say, I want to come into that space. Let's change it. Let's bring about some change. Let's bring about some transformation. He's doing some stuff on the inside of that. Let me tell you, the most wonderful things happen in chaos. Anytime you read a story, Stories are full of all kinds of ups and downs and ins and outs and moves because the story of your life is going to be like that. He never said it would be perfect. Why? Because we're not perfect. 
Unfortunately, what Adam did was left us at a place where we went outside of God to define who we were. And so the very foundation of our life is wobbly. What he's trying to do is he's trying to bring us to a place where we see it for what it is and we move to a space where we allow him in his love and his grace to come in and do some stuff in that space. He's fixing the wobble. He's fixing the wobble. As God begins to work with us, what we'll discover is this. The beginning takes on new meaning when we get to the end because the scenic route is going to shape you. In the beginning, you can feel like you're stuck in chaos. In the beginning, you can feel like everything's awful. In the beginning, you feel as though you're so confused because you don't know what's going on. In the beginning, it feels like the promise is never going to be materialized. In the beginning, it feels like everything is going crazy and there's mayhem. But as we go through places of discovery and illumination, we're introduced and invited into wholeness. And when we come out on the other end, suddenly the beginning actually made sense. And I was actually quite happy for being sold into slavery because I discovered some stuff about myself that established me to embrace the promises of God so that I could steward it in a way that I could effectively work into it. And I wasn't trying to fix myself, but I recognized that the promise was there to save a nation and bring family restitution. I didn't recognize it at at first because I thought it was about me. When God came, it was interesting because Jesus arrived on the scene and Jesus immediately had impact because people recognized him because of the miraculous. He went out and he laid hands on the sick and they recovered. He got taxes out of a fish's mouth, fed 5,000, two loaves and Two fish and five loaves. Cast out demons. People recognized him because he had impact. The thing about it is, when he arrived, he didn't just arrive to confirm our beliefs about God. He arrived to introduce more and expansive, new and expansive beliefs about God. That's what gave him impact. Up until that point, their concept of God was limited. Up until that point, they didn't understand the whole idea of God as Father. We have no concept of how dramatic that was as an introduction because we're born into it and we we raised with it. For them, God was always Jehovah who was out there. Jehovah that I don't want to get too close to because I could get burnt, I could die. God was out there. But he introduced them to new ideas about God, a God who is loving and a God who wants to be father and a God who wants to come and live on the inside of you. Incarnational reality, a God who lives on the inside of who I am, a God who wants to be near to me, a God who's interested in the nuances of my life, a God who pays close attention to the building blocks of who I am and what I'm all about. All of a sudden, it was a whole new idea as to what God was about. He didn't just come to affirm their beliefs about God. He came to change them, introduce new ones, and make it more expansive. They live by law. Let's live by grace. When God walks into your situation, we all have limited beliefs about God. Not people. Don't go people. He doesn't say people are going to introduce you to this. You'll end up in the sidetrack. The Holy Spirit, when you get with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to introduce you to beliefs about God that may be different to where you've been. They'll be new and they'll be more expansive. Because when I'm living from jail, I think God is this. And when he walks into my situation, he says, you have a totally wrong concept. You see, God never came in just to affirm their revelation. He came to introduce new revelation to them. Part of the challenge that we have is we think that Jesus comes into our life to fulfill our desires. He doesn't. He comes into your life to change your desires and then fulfill them. The problem with it is when I'm sitting in jail, I've got very different desires than when I'm sitting behind the desk as an ambassador. 
When I'm in jail, I need God to do a whole bunch of stuff in my life that I think he needs to do. I have desires that he wants me, I want him to meet and fulfill. But when he introduces me to my purpose, and when I get established on the inside of who I am, the truth of who he's called me to be, and I move to the place that I step into my role as ambassador, I see things differently, and my desires become different. I end up with kingdom desires, not personal desires. It doesn't mean that if you have a personal need, it's a problem to go to God. But if you're living in personal need, there's a place to sit and say, Father, you know what? Let's take a little bit of a uh, Let's take a trip together. Send me on the scenic route. Because I'm not seeing something here. I'm not seeing something here. There's an interesting verse in... um, where is it? Um, 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 Proverbs. Proverbs 18, verse 16. It says this. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. It's an interesting verse because what it's really saying is this. When God begins to do some stuff in, in our life and we, we move to a place where he introduces us to his promises, invariably what we want to do is we want to make some plans and run ahead and do some stuff. The problem with it is this. We don't have the capacity or the ability to really understand the gift that we have. The gift comes from him, not from me. So the problem with it is he gifts it to me, but I really don't understand the fullness of the capacity of that gift. And anytime I want to take control of it and I want to roll it out, I'm going to do it the way that I think it should be. And invariably, I'm going to do it in a way that limits the potential of that because I really don't understand it. The thing is, that's why God always says to us, the gift makes room for you. What it's saying is the gift and the lead, it should be the lead in these things. What we do is we allow the Holy Spirit, when he's given us a promise, to take that and begin to have influence and move and begin to become expansive. Let him take the life that's on the inside of there and let the life that's on the inside of that promise begin to define our reality. When we begin to do that, it begins to make room for you. It begins to open up doors of opportunity. What you find is all of a sudden things begin to arrive. All of a sudden it becomes more expansive. All of a sudden that you get invitations to different things. Why? No, I'm not trying to make it happen. What's ending up happening is the gift in and of itself is taking on the life that it's supposed to do. And I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to take that and direct it. The challenge that we have very often is when we take the gift and we begin to run with it, we don't always run in the right direction. And so what ends up happening is we hit a wall and then we don't really understand God. And God's like, I wasn't in that. I was in the gift giving, but I didn't ask you to run with it. Leave the gift to make room for you. As we move into things, what I've begun to realize is this. We, we, our, our mind is such an interesting part to who we are. It's the center of your being. It's the essence of your heart. It's that, that part of you that defines your will. You can define who it is that you want to be. God's given you that prerogative. Make good choices. Make good cho- He's not going to force it on you. The invitation is always there. But the thing that I've begun to realize about the mind is this. It's the essence of our being. And so really the the parts that define who I am as a person are resident in that space. But that's also the place where I connect with God. And so I allow him to have influence in that space. And usually the way that God talks to me, deals with me, is he doesn't talk with language like I, I have ideas that are birthed in me I kind of I know I sense his that's how he works with me the challenge is this sometimes the ideas that are born of me because they're in the same place that God puts ideas from himself I can't always distinguish one from the other 
And there is a, an art and there's an experience that I've discovered in life that we kind of have to go through where we begin to sit and distill those things and sit and say, is this really God or is it me? Because very often what ends up happening is we feel it's so alive on the inside of us. We feel it that it's like, this must be God because it's just, it's, it's burning on the inside of me. But it's not always. Sometimes there are parts to me that are really looking for some things. And although I may not necessarily sit and say I'm doing it for the wrong reason, sometimes what ends up happening, it really is. I'm looking for affirmation. I'm looking for accolades. I'm looking for position. I'm looking for different things. I don't always recognize it necessarily as being a, 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 a divot. But that's my motivation. But it resonates with me because when I look at that, I sit and say, in that space, I'll feel so good. And sometimes we confuse that enthusiasm and that passion for the voice of God. And then we sit and say, I believe God's doing this to me and introducing me to that. And we're running off in a direction and it's like, ooh. Get some some mature people in your life. Can I suggest that? And go and talk to them about stuff when you feel things. Some things are self-evident. If God tells you some stuff, it should resonate with everybody around you. They should be like, yep, that makes perfect sense. I could see that. I'm amazed at how God did it even. But it resonates. When you say some stuff and everybody around you scratching their head like, what? It might just be an invitation to sit and say, let me go back and check and make sure that that's from God. Just a suggestion. God has a wonderful plan for your life. And the thing about it is, it's not just about you. It's so much bigger than you. The wonderful thing is he's going to take you on a journey, a scenic journey. When things don't work out the way that you expect and things kind of fly in your face, don't worry about stuff like that. The opportunity in that space is to sit and say, Holy Spirit, here, show me. We're on the road of discovery here. Open the eyes of my understanding so I see some stuff. And when he shows you, the invitation will be there to sit and say, let me move into that space and bring wholeness and completion. That's really what the whole purpose of holiness is, to fix me, to get me out of jail. It's so valuable to us because when we move into that space and we move to a place of wholeness and completion, we really begin to see our purpose with with more clarity. I can see the value. And so when I move into places, I begin to recognize the fact that God never brought those people into my life for no reason. He brought them into my life because maybe there's purpose there. Reconciliation. What am I supposed to do in this space? The challenge with it is, if I'm not positioned well, I, 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 my ability to have meaningful influence in that space is compromised. But when I'm positioned as an ambassador, I recognize that I can move into that space and I can effectively make deposits in those areas. It changes our life and it begins to add reward to our, our relationship with God. He builds us up so that he can pour us out. He does some stuff on the inside of who you are so that you've got stuff to introduce into your world. My encouragement to you this week is this. You have the ministry of reconciliation. If you don't think you're called, you're wrong. That's the first thing you're going to discover on your road. You've got a calling on your life. You've got a calling on your life. And the calling is the ministry of reconciliation. Every time you meet with people, every time you're with envir- in environments, every time you, you're in different spaces, begin to think to yourself, is this just accidental, Lord? Or am I here with purpose? Sarah's much better at chatting to people than I am. They open their hearts to her when it comes to me. People are like, I, don't, I think it, it, it's also a pastor thing. People get weirded. Like, I can't tell people with my kids' sports what I do. Because they're fine with me up until they know that I'm a pastor. And then all of a sudden they get all weird. And it's like, you're not accountable to me. It's like, it's, it's got nothing to do with it. I can't do anything on your behalf. But she's so good with that. Like she gets into places where people sit to her and, and they sit and they bleed their heart and they talk about stuff. And, then, and it's like, people don't do that. Just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. I'll, I'm going to go on my journey and <laughs> discover so, but you're in those spaces for, for a reason. All of those people in your life for a reason. Yeah. 
I'm not a big advocate. And I, I can't, there's never anything where you can sit and say it's unequivocal, okay? But just personally, I think that there, there might have been a, a time in America when people going out on the street worked well. I don't think it works that well right now. People are responsive to relationship. People are responsive to spaces where it's like, you know what? Are you genuinely interested in me or are you just like a religious freak? Religious freaks don't resonate with people. And so if I just see you on the street corner doing, it's not to say God can't do that. I'm not suggesting that. Please understand what I'm saying. What I'm trying to reaffirm to you is this, that you're in the, in the environment that you are, where you are right at the moment with a, for a reason. You can form relationships. You can form friendships with people at work, at the gym, friendships with your kids' parents. I don't know where you're going to find them. The person that you always checks you out at Wegmans. I don't know. But the thing about it is, what I'm saying is, I think that the, the, the day of the church stepping up begins when we begin to recognize that we're here with a purpose. Yes. With a calling, reconciliation. Yes. Gee, you know what? There might be some stuff happening in your life. You know, I wish I could fix it, but I really can't. But I can tell you, I can introduce you to somebody who can. Come on. I can introduce you to someone who has possibilities in that space. Yeah. Come on. Sometimes we're reserved about praying for people. I know, because I, I, I'm like that. But the thing is, I've begun to realize how valuable it is because people aren't really interested in your opinion. When you pray for something, what you do is you take the reality of the truth that's on the inside of you and you put it into that environment. And when you put it into that environment, you just introduce God there and some stuff can happen. Nothing happens when you tell him your ideas about God. It's like, that's great and I celebrate it. And it might even be completely true. But it's not about your ideas. It's about the presence. Introduce the presence and what he has in that environment, and things begin to change. Anyway, I'm getting off on other stuff. Have a great week. Be intentional this week. Ministry of Reconciliation. Don't worry if you discover some stuff about yourself that's a little bit wobbly. I'm the biggest wobbly here. And my poor wife has to deal with it with frequency. She's like, why do you do that? I've told you a hundred times not to do that. And it's like, it's probably closer to a thousand when I'm trying really hard. <laughs> it just is what, but we, what I'm saying is, it's okay to be imperfect. God's not looking for your perfection. He's looking for your availability. He's looking for a perspective that says, you know what? I can't fix this. I'm not going outside of you to fix it. I'm not trying to do it by myself. I'm going back to my original design. I'm going back to the blueprint. Do some things, Holy Spirit, on the inside of me.